Well, as I mentioned just just now, we're going to have baptism today in Willow Creek, and, and because I think we should try to drag out our series in the book of Acts as long as possible, <laughs> we're going to take a break from, the, from our series in the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about baptism. Uh, what is baptism? And, and the most simple definition for what baptism is? That it's an act of using water to admit a person into the Christian community. And that's like the most dry, general definition of baptism. Uh, but, but what I realized and talked to our leadership team about was that we, we have never specifically dedicated time to talking about baptism on a Sunday morning. What, what does town church believe about baptism? Uh, how do we do baptisms, <laughs> uh, who should get baptized, what does baptism symbolize? These are all really important questions that can sometimes get, I don't want to say ignored, they just kind of get passed over because we can assume, you know, as, as the church, as a Christian community, that, that everyone else knows the answers to these questions. Even if we don't, we just assume everyone else knows, and so we maybe don't ask because then we feel oh, well, if everyone else knows, then I can't ask, and, and, and then you just... But the truth is, I think that many of us don't, haven't really thought deeply or spent any time looking at what those questions, what is baptism, what does it mean, what does it signify, and so I want to take this opportunity today to clarify for us as a church, how do we practice, what do we believe about baptism as a church community. And I'll say this too, that, that some of you have probably come from different traditions on how you view baptism. If you've been part of any other denomination or a Christian church, you know, there's a wide variety of opinions and doctrinal beliefs about what baptism is. And so if you disagree with what I'm saying today, it doesn't mean you have to leave like during the middle. Um, it's just I'm stating our position as a church and, and that's where we're at. So uh, there is room for uh, differences of belief on what baptism, baptism is within. Are we stuck on there? Uh-oh, okay. Um, where's Aaron at? Aaron's the man here. Oh, wow, we got like all the way off. Got to get reconnected to the, the uh, Apple TV. You're sitting too far away, Dave. <laughs> so, we're, that's what we're going to do today. It's, it's a little bit different than a normal Sunday. Um, typically, we will... <laughs> man... Some, some weird stuff going on today. Uh, <laughs> you know, typically what we'll do on a Sunday is we'll look at a specific passage of Scripture and we'll just spend time in that one passage of Scripture. But in looking at w the subject of baptism, we're going to be looking at a ton of different passages of Scripture and I'm going to reference a bunch of other passages and, and it's just to give us this broad overview of the significance of baptism the importance of baptism for people who follow Jesus. So we're going to start with one passage from Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 4. I'll pray, and then we will we'll jump into these questions. So Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It's on page 942 if you're using one of the Bibles uh, from the back. 
What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is God's word. Let's pray once more. Father, we ask that you would bless now the, the hearing, the reading, the preaching, the understanding of your word this morning. I pray that today would be more than just clarifying a doctrinal position but it would be cause for worship in us. Uh, That we would not just learn something, but we would learn to love you more through through your word and through uh, what you've called us to in baptism, what it means, what it signifies. Thank you for giving yourself, Jesus, for us, that you suffered and died for us, that you were buried and that you raised from death on the third day, and that in baptism... We remember that, we proclaim that, we celebrate that. And I thank you for this not just being an abstract truth, but a reality for us that we are celebrating the new life of Jesus in three people in our community today, and that that would infuse and, uh, and inform all that we're thinking and, and talking about today. And above all, that you would bring glory to your son, Jesus. We ask it all in his name. Amen. All right, so we'll begin with this question. What do we believe about baptism? So I'll start with something from our confessional statement or our statement of faith that we have on our website, and there's the address for that up on the screen as long as the PowerPoint is behaving still. Uh, <laughs> uh, and this is, this is a position on, on both baptism and communion, which are what we call sacraments or ordinances in in the church, and a simple way to define that is um, a sacrament or an ordinance is a specific or physical ritual or something that we do uh, that Jesus commanded his followers to do. So this is something that Jesus told us to do uh, to remember and proclaim who he is and what he has done for us. So here's our confession, our statement about baptism and communion. The town church believes that baptism and the Lord's Supper or communion are ordained by the Lord Jesus himself. Baptism is connected with entrance into the new covenant community, communion with ongoing covenant renewal. Together, they are simultaneously God's pledge to us, divinely ordained means of grace, our public vows of submission, to the once crucified and now resurrected Christ, and they are anticipations of his return and of the consummation of all things. Both sacraments are proclamations of the goodness of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. Okay, so we'll leave that up there for a little bit, but you can also go look on the website and find that later if you would like. Um, Can somebody close the back door or the front door, I guess? It's It's just a little bit loud today. What I want us to 
focus on there in that confession or statement is, is that last phrase, that when we talk about baptism, when we are practicing baptism, when we're baptizing people, when we're, when we're taking communion like we do each Sunday, we must remember that, that both of those, those things, baptism and communion, they are ultimately a proclamation of God's goodness, uh, that, that they are something that God has shown to us in Jesus. Kent Hughes, he's a pastor. He says, when we, when we look at baptism, uh, that it's an occasion for gospel theater. It's, it's putting the gospel on display for us and for the world. It's this time for us to really focus in intently on what the gospel does, the movement of the gospel in saving us and transforming us. So whatever we talk about today, uh, let's remember that, that baptism is supposed to draw attention to the beauty and the goodness of God's love for us through who Jesus is and what he has done for us. That's the ultimate goal here. So uh, let's, we're going to probably keep coming back to that. So um, now that's what we believe about baptism how do we baptize? What's the, the method of baptism that we use? So we'll just dive into some of the controversial things here. Uh, how do we baptize people? Do we sprinkle people? Do we sprinkle babies? Do we, do we dunk people underwater? Do we have both? Is it just a sort of a baptism buffet? Just whatever you prefer. So here's where we land on this as a church. The the only mode or method of baptism in the New Testament is immersion. So immersion means that a believer of Jesus is submerged underwater and lifted out. I should have put a picture up there, but I think you guys understand here what I'm talking about. Someone goes all the way underwater, okay? That's, that's the goal here. And, and the Greek word where we get the English word baptism is baptizo, and it has a literal meaning of to plunge, to dip, to immerse. So it seems pretty, pretty clear there. And this is, the, this is what we see in the New Testament. This is what we see in the early church until sometime in the second century where um, babies started getting sprinkled or water poured on them. Uh, and so for us, where we land as a church is we baptize through immersion. So we dunk people. If you're getting baptized at town church, you're going to be dunked all the way underwater, so you need to learn how to hold your breath. You can practice in the bathtub if you need to, but that's, that's what we're going to do. So that's how we baptize people. And the next question is, then who should get baptized? Who gets baptized? And the easiest answer with no controversy is that disciples of Jesus should get baptized. That's what Jesus commanded us in what we call the Great Commission, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so therefore whatever Jesus says here is indicative of his authority. He has the authority to command us to do this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's why we plant churches, because Jesus commanded us to do it. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so it's clear from what Jesus says here that baptism is an indispensable part of making disciples of Jesus. And, and really, no one's going to argue with this, that, that when people follow Jesus, they should get baptized. Okay, so, so that's not controversial. Uh, but there is more complexity to this question of who should 
get baptized when it comes to defining who is a disciple of Jesus that should be baptized. There is a historic division here within the Protestant church, within Christianity, that, that uh, denominations or traditions like Lutheran, Episcopalian, uh, Presbyterian, Methodist, they, uh, they practice the baptism of infants, uh, of, uh, of parents who are Christians. So if, if, a, if a people have a baby uh, and they are believers in Jesus, then their baby should be baptized uh, as an infant. So this is called pedo-baptism, and it's based in the view that if a child is born to Christian parents, uh, that they are born into the covenant community of God's people. So, so if baptism is something we do to mark the entrance of a person into the covenant community of Jesus, then the, the logic follows that these children uh, have entered into the covenant community through their, through their parents, uh, and they should be baptized. And, and this is somewhat a gross oversimplification here, but I'm trying to cover as much ground as possible. Uh, so, so we, uh, often people who take this view will connect this view of baptism to the way that circumcision was used in the Old Testament to mark the covenant community of Israel. So circumcision marks God's people in the Old Testament. It's this distinction that separates them from the people around them, and so baptism marks the people of Jesus now as this distinct mark. So there, I think there's much to appreciate about this view of baptism. I, I like particularly in the way that it emphasizes what Jesus has done rather than what we have done. Oftentimes when we think about baptism, it's this decision that we make to do. But in, in this view of baptism, in the pedo-baptistic view, uh, there is an emphasis on Jesus' work, what Jesus has done outside of what the infant who's being baptized has done. Michael Green, in his defense, says, Infant baptism stresses the objectivity of the gospel. It points to the solid achievement of Christ crucified and risen, whether or not we respond to it. Not that we gain anything from it unless we repent and believe, but baptism is the standing demonstration that our salvation does not depend on our own very fallible faith. It depends on what God has done for us. Now, to that last sentence, I say a hearty amen. And I love that, that no matter what your view of baptism is, that can be the way that we view baptism. It is the standing demonstration that our salvation does not depend on our own very fallible faith. It depends on what God has done for us. Amen. So, so I have great respect for, uh, for this position uh, I don't like to make fun of it. Uh, I've heard people do that typically. You take a stand and you just kind of po- poke holes in the other person's perspective and, um, and make fun of it. But I think there's value for us to look at this perspective, to appreciate it, to, em- to, to love its emphasis on the covenant community of Jesus. But I am ultimately persuaded of a different perspective, that we as a church practice what is called believer's baptism or credo-baptism. So we would say that only those who have professed faith in Jesus should be 
baptized. So in that scenario, an infant is not able, doesn't have the capacity to, to confess and believe in the message of the gospel, just from, from an intellectual standpoint in one sense. But um, so, so, so that is the, the main difference between the paedo-baptist view and the credo-baptist view is baptizing someone who believes, who has confessed and believed, repented from their sin and believes in Jesus. And, and as we've gone through the book of Acts, we've seen a couple examples of this in Acts chapter 2, after Peter preaches to this great crowd of people that those who received his word, who believed, who repented, they were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, again in Acts chapter 8, the, uh, when Philip, uh, as he preaches the gospel, they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, both men and women. So this is the pattern that we see again and again, especially in the book of Acts. Uh, people repent of their sin, they place their faith in Jesus, then they are baptized. So belief precedes baptism. And the, and the paedo-baptist position will often point to the instances where uh, we're told, like Lydia, she, in Acts chapter 16, she believes herself, and then it says that her and her household were baptized. And then later in chapter 16, the Philippian jailer, after uh, there's this big earthquake, and Paul, and they, they escape from, though they don't actually escape, they could have, but they don't, but he believes in Jesus, and it says that he and his household are baptized. Um, so, so oftentimes the, the people who take a different view of baptism will say this is an instance where, you know, it couldn't have been that every single person in the household believed, but because they're part of a covenant family that they are baptized and they're sort of covered by the covenant. And again, if I'm misrepresenting this position, I apologize, but this is my best understanding of it uh, right now. So what I'll say is that that in those examples of Lydia and the Philippian jailer, those examples, they're not really decisive for either position. Um, they, they don't describe how the individuals were baptized, how old they were, the number of people. It could have been a general statement about the household. Uh, so, so nobody is necessarily included or excluded, and it's not really a definitive point where we can say, I take my position based on those passages of scripture. So the, the, the main point here is that this is obviously a significant theological issue. It requires study, it requires prayer, it requires thought and del- deliberation on our part. We can't just, you know, like most things, we're just like, if I can't understand it in three seconds as I'm scrolling by on Facebook, then I'm not going to, you know, really deal with it. But, you know, when we're, when we're looking at the scriptures when we're studying God's word, when we're looking at these doctrinal issues, we have to give ourselves time and energy to those things so that we can take a position. Um, and, and so here's, here's what I've learned in some ways over the years when it comes to these two positions is that there is no need to take shots at the other position. Uh, we can still have... as we as town church can have gospel fellowship with those who take a pedo-baptist view of baptism. Uh, We could have a a pastor or a leader from from a Presbyterian church come here and preach and and 
you know, even if they preach on baptism, which would be super weird, it probably, it would be okay. Like they, uh, it wouldn't be the end of the world. We can still have fellowship with churches who take a different stance of baptism than we do. And if you were baptized in a Protestant church as an infant and you're following Jesus today and you're part of our community, I'm, I'm not going to press the point that you need to be rebaptized. baptized uh, by, by getting dunked again. I would say if you're following Jesus and you've been baptized as an infant, I think, that's, I think you're good. If you want to be baptized uh, by immersion, that's okay too. We'll do that. We're not going to forsake you from doing that. Um, so so the, I think there's some room for us to have uh, understanding here and to be gracious to each other in our different doctrinal positions but here, here's my, my final remark on who should be baptized. If you are a Christian, if you're a person who follows Jesus, you put your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation, you should be baptized. That's, it's not an optional thing. It's not a, you know, I just feel like I don't really, I'm afraid of the water or whatever. I mean, we could figure it out. We'll work with you. But you should be baptized. Now, baptism, this is kind of a crucial distinction. Baptism isn't a requirement for salvation. And kind of the classic example of this is, you know, the the thief on the cross, he put his faith in Jesus, right? And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That man was never baptized, okay? So we wouldn't say, well, he wasn't baptized, so Jesus, sorry. You can't just let him into heaven uh, without him being baptized. No, he... He put his faith in Jesus, and he died, and he has been in fellowship with Jesus ever since then. Okay, so, but, so uh, baptism isn't a requirement for salvation. We don't have to finish the work of Jesus. It's not itself part of what saves us, but it's a clear commandment in Scripture. So it's, it's been the practice of the church throughout history. So if you haven't been baptized, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should get baptized. Even if you've been a Christian for 40 years and somehow it just never happened, you just never got around to it, like you should still get baptized and we would celebrate that with you. So who should get baptized? People who follow Jesus. There you go. That's the easy answer. All right, our last question and the longest one. Uh, <laughs> What does baptism symbolize or what does baptism mean? And so the, the most essential way that baptism is described in Scripture is that it's an outward expression of an inward reality. It is a symbol, but it's this really powerful symbol that ultimately points to the story of the gospel, the message of the good news of Jesus. Baptism is showing us again and again this is who Jesus is, and this is what he has done for us. So, so let's look at some of the ways that baptism is a symbol of the gospel. First, baptism is a symbol of the death of Jesus. In Luke 12, 50, uh, Jesus is describing his coming suffering uh, and his death, and he talks about it as a baptism or as a flood that will overwhelm him. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. So when we are baptized, when we are lowered and covered in 
the water, we are remembering, we're proclaiming and declaring that Jesus suffered and died on our behalf. God's judgment for our sin, his wrath against our sin, it was poured out on Jesus like a flood. And Jesus says, that's my baptism. And this kind of baptism uh, for Jesus specifically, it's hinted at a lot in the Old Testament, particularly in the Psalms. So Psalm 88 verse 7 says, your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. So baptism is a symbol It's a way we identify ourselves with Christ in his death by going under the water. Next, baptism is a symbol of the burial of Jesus. So when we're baptized, it's a symbol, it's a picture, it's an outward expression of the internal reality that our old sinful life is buried with Jesus. So when we go back to that passage we started out with in Romans chapter 6, Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when we're baptized, it's, it's a proclamation that who we once were is, is dead, Who we once were has died, and our life is now in Jesus alone. Our life is in him and in no one else, in nothing else. So when we come out of the waters of baptism, we have been raised up to a new life. We have been brought up into this new life, and we walk out this life. We walk out our newness of life, and it's one where we continue to put to death Our old life, which is uh, kind of the remnants of our old life, Colossians chapter 3 talks about this, but we don't have to do this in our own strength. We don't have to do this in our own willpower. We do it in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Romans chapter 8 verse 13 says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So there's kind of a paradox here. When we place our faith in Jesus, we die to sin, okay? Uh, And that's what baptism symbolizes, but, and I I was meeting with Amanda this week, and we were talking about her baptism, and I said, you know, when you get baptized, it doesn't magically mean that you'll never sin again, that you'll never struggle with sin again, that you'll never, uh, you'll never deal with temptation any longer. Baptism doesn't destroy the power of sin. And those of you who have been baptized, you can testify to that. You're like, yes, I continue to struggle here, right? It continues to be part of my daily battle in following Jesus. But we spend our entire lives as followers of Jesus dying to sin, slaying our sin, being made holy. But the, the key thing here is, how do we fight? How do we fight sin? And we fight it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and baptism is a picture of that, right? We're coming up not in the strength of our old life, who we were, but we're coming up in the new life of Jesus, and we walk in newness of life. And Paul says in Romans eight eleven, if the Spirit 
of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Right? So the, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And you are raised out of the waters to walk in newness of life. So baptism symbolizes both Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection in our new life in him. Next, baptism is the gospel equivalent of circumcision. Uh, so you want to get that circumcision word in as much as possible here. Uh, we've already mentioned it a couple times. But closely related to the way that baptism is a symbol, right, of a new, a new heart we've received in Jesus. And We've already said this, circumcision was this external mark. It's something that could be seen on the outside, if necessary, of an inner reality, right? I belong to the people of Yahweh, right? I'm marked out. I am distinct. I am set apart. Uh, and, And circumcision was the symbol of that. In the same way, we can say baptism is an external symbol of what's happened in our hearts, in our spirits, that we belong to Jesus. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul says, In him, in Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The gospel, we say, is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And baptism is a proclamation of that. Here's the work that he's done. Jesus has essentially cut away the old parts of our lives and he's given us a new heart, a a tender, fresh heart. And, And it's a heart that's not enslaved to sin. It's a heart that's not bound up to, to sin and to death any longer, but we're free to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And baptism is a symbol of that. It's this declaration of that. Next, baptism draws us back to another Old Testament moment, the, the Exodus in the book of Exodus, chapter 14. And you know this story that, that it's the, the people of Israel are rescued from slavery in Egypt by God, right? He, he pulls them out, calls them out of the land. God makes a way for them to escape, and they come to the Red Sea. They follow Moses through the water, right? And they arrive on the other side. They are alive, and all their enemies have been conquered. And so we can say in the same way that Israel was united to Moses, right? They followed him to, to their salvation in the same way we as followers of Jesus, we're united to him as we pass through the waters of baptism. And Paul makes a reference to this in 1 Corinthians 10 uh, to say that Jesus is our deliverer. He is our, our way of rescue. He's the one who leads us. He's the one who saves us from our enemies. And so we come out of the water with everything that we need. And I don't know if you've, if you've been baptized or you've seen a baptism what, what do people who come up out of the water have with them? They're not holding anything. They're not like, they don't have like their safety deposit box or like a security blanket or anything. I mean, it could have happened. I don't know. But, 
But it's this, like you're coming up with nothing, just the clothes you have on. And, and it's a great picture, right? We're, we're coming through, we're passing through the waters, and when we come up out of the water, we have everything we need. We have Jesus, and he is always enough. Next, baptism symbolizes washing from sin. So again, baptism is this outward sign. We've been cleansed from sin. The way we've been defiled by sin uh, and, and our conscience and our life and our mind, all those things, when we are baptized, it's a symbol that those things have been washed clean. And baptism itself, it's not like the final step we need to take to wash away our sin that's already been done through Jesus' death and resurrection, but baptism is a way to to symbolize that, to proclaim, to declare, this is what Jesus has done in my heart. So when, when Paul himself was converted, when he put his faith in Jesus, he was told, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Later when Paul wrote to a young disciple named Titus, he said, Jesus saved us, not because of works done by us, in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Our baptism is a proclamation, my sin has been washed away through what Jesus has done, that, that I am pure in Jesus, I am holy in Jesus, I am, I am everything that I need to be in Jesus, that I lack nothing because of Jesus and what he has done for me. Next, baptism is a symbol of putting on Christ. In Galatians 3, Paul says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So you can think about putting on a coat, a jacket. It's almost wintertime, right? We're going to have to start wearing our coats again. Um, Baptism is a picture of us being clothed in Christ, putting him on. So we're united to Jesus. We uh, we live out our new life and our purpose in him. So when you come out of the water, you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You are new, and you get to live like it now because of what Jesus has done for you. Finally, baptism is a symbol of unity in Jesus. Ephesians 4 says that there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now this really gets to the heart of what baptism symbolizes. We believe in one King, Jesus, one Lord. There's no other way by which we can be saved. There's nothing else we could do. There's no other savior. There's no other way we could be rescued. It's only through putting our faith in who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that unites us, right? We have all declared equally, I am in need of salvation and the only way I can be saved is through Jesus. And that unites us, that brings us together. Whatever your belief in baptism is, we stand on that, right? He is our one king, our one savior. And we say our faith is in him alone. What he's done, what he's accomplished, that unites us. And we're baptized in his name, in obedience, in submission to what he has told us to do. And that unites us. 
that brings us together. We've all gone under the water and come up in newness of life, Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, non-denominational, whatever, wherever you're at, we say we come to new life in Jesus. We're baptized in his name and that unites us. I hope that ultimately what you see is that baptism is not really about us at all. <laughs> it's about Jesus. Baptism is really all about Jesus. It's a platform to celebrate his amazing work of grace, his rescue on our behalf. So, so when we baptize Amanda and Hugh and Adelaide today, it's a platform to see, look what God has done. Look at the miracle of salvation in their lives. And, and we get to, to celebrate that. It's, it's like this party that we get to have out by the river. And it's, I was talking to Amanda about this. It's simultaneously like the most ordinary thing. It's just like there's some people standing there and some of them are getting dipped under water. And there's no like flashing lights. There's no song from heaven. It's just like an ordinary event. But it's also this thing that you remember for the rest of your life. That that's the day that I declared who Jesus is and what he's done in my heart. And that's a beautiful thing. And we can remember it together. So that's why I really want to encourage you to come this afternoon, to be there, to, to witness that, to testify with them as we say, look what God has done in their hearts and their lives. And, and it's something that they won't just remember their own part in it, but our part as a community with them in seeing what God has done. So we're going to pray and we're going to continue to worship and respond. And we'll also take communion, which is sort of an ongoing expression of what we just talked about. And, and I guess at some point I'll have to do a whole sermon on communion too, but um, not, not today. So <laughs> let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for the story of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus, you lived a perfect life. You came to us. You came into our broken, shattered world. And instead of rejecting us, instead of judging us, you laid yourself down on the cross for us. You bore our sin. You bore our shame. You gave your life and you were buried in the tomb and you rose in power on the third day. In power, in victory, in triumph, you conquered all our enemies. I thank you that you've invited us to follow you, to, to have a new life in you, to, to make this incredible trade, our sin, our shame, for your righteousness, your purity, your life for ours. And I pray that, that as we celebrate your work in the life of Amanda and Adelaide and Hugh today, um, that it would just be a beautiful celebration, not just of a moment in three people's lives or even our church, but, but in all eternity, Jesus how beautiful you are, how good you are, how gracious and loving you are.
thank you that we can continue to respond to your goodness, your grace, your love, your holiness, your justice in, in taking communion and singing and giving all these different ways you've given us to worship and respond. So we declare you to be the king, the savior, the only one. We love you and we pray in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.